You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. We're going to be talking about Zacchaeus today. Now, most of you who have uh, grew up in the church, if you did grow up in the church, you know who Zacchaeus is. Several of you don't. But you might remember that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Okay, well, there's, there's a story behind that, and I'm going to share it with you, and I'm, I'm going to ask to Lord, the Lord to hide me behind the cross this morning and just speak what he wants to speak in this message. And Eric, you'll see I'm not going to use all the slides and everything today. Um, it's just what God wants us to do. Um, but Zacchaeus had lived a life of criticism. You see, tax collectors, tax collectors and he was a tax collector, um, in that culture, and still this day, uh, were hated, <laughs> despised, uh, because many of them were corrupt. Not only were they gathering taxes for the Roman Empire and for the religious authorities, the temple taxes, they were also keeping a little bit for themselves in some cases. And so whether they were just doing their job or not, people just thought they were horrible and that they were, they were conniving. And if you're doing the chosen study, one of the primary characters in that study is Matthew. And Matthew is presented that way. Uh, and in that particular um, series, Matthew also appears to have a, a, a social disability, if you've watched it at all. And so he's hated. He has family issues. He has personal issues. And Jesus calls him to be a disciple. And so I want to start out this morning asking you a, a, a question. What criticisms are you most likely to hear from the people who know you best? And do you appreciate it? Do you look forward to it? Is that something that thrills you? Probably not. Do they say, gosh, he's always running late. Or you're too uptight about being early. You know, or you're a penny pincher. Or... You know, you overspend. Very few of us handle criticism graciously, even from people who know and love us. A famous humorist once wrote, Honest criticism is hard to take, particularly from a relative, a friend, an acquaintance, or a stranger. And he's right. Criticism is hard to take, especially when it's unwarranted. You know who Winston Churchill is? He served as prime minister of the United Kingdom during World War II. And he was very well respected for that time. He still is today by many of us. And so during World War II, he was an amazing leader during that time. But in the later years of his life, rumors of health problems caused a lot of trouble. One evening he was attending some official function and two men a few rows behind him began speculating about his health. One man said to the other, that's Winston Churchill. They said he must be senile. They say he should step down and let a younger man run the government. They say that he's over the hill. At the end of the program, Churchill turned and scowled at the men and said, they also say Churchill is going deaf. We don't think that Jesus had a hearing problem. He knew that he was the target of criticism. And if you're ever going to represent the gospel and the cause of Christ, you will be a target of criticism. It's going to happen. People will say things about you, gossip about you, speculate about you. It's going to happen, folks, at some point 
in your ministry because you're part of a ministry. You're called. You're equipped to be the saints of God. You're a minister as much as I am. And a lot of ministers wouldn't say that. But you are. He's called you and he's equipping you to be his servants, to be his saints. And you better bet Jesus was receiving some criticism. And what was the number one criticism people had about Jesus? It was this, that he liked to hang out with sinners. Thank God that's the case, because I'm the chief of sinners. And if you're not a sinner, then the doors are open for you to head on out, because you're already ready to enter in the pearly gates, folks, if you're not. Even Paul said, I am the chief amongst sinners. And we look at Paul as the greatest apostle of all time. Yet he saw himself, not just his past, not just his past, of persecuting Christians, but he saw himself as being a man, a man of flesh and blood. And he too, like many of the men at the Bible study, had a thorn in his flesh that he needed to get rid of, that he needed to burn. And I believe God gave him the strength and the grace and the forgiveness that set Paul free, even though Paul was in chains most of his ministry. He didn't think he was in chains because he knew his freedom was in Christ. And so that was the biggest criticism of Jesus, that he hung out with sinners. It wasn't a rumor. It was the truth. Jesus' critics had plenty of proof, just like in today's scripture lesson. Jesus liked to hang out with sinners. He did. And this story around a man named Zacchaeus proves that. I just told you he was the chief tax collector, the main man in Jericho when it came to taxes. And people just did not like him. Our Bible passage says that Zacchaeus was wealthy. So it's likely that he was profiting off the exploitation and the oppression of his people, of his neighbors. I guess that's how he earned the title, the least popular guy in Jericho. And I think that explains why Zacchaeus didn't want to see Jesus. Now, we all think, yeah, he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to get up in the sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. The Bible verses tell us that Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd. It's reasonable to assume he could have gotten close enough to talk to Jesus or touch him. Instead, he climbs up this sycamore fig tree. He wanted to see Jesus, but I don't think he wanted Jesus to see him. And there are a lot of people who feel that they are unacceptable to God. And some of you feel that way this morning. Some of you are watching. You feel that you're unacceptable to God. You feel like, I've just done too many terrible things. I'm doing terrible things right now, and I'm not acceptable to God. He can't receive me. I can't be loved like everybody else who has it together. I will tell you this. People who seem like they have it the most together are the ones that are falling apart, folks. They're barely holding it together. So be careful when you see someone strutting and seeming like they're arrogant and have it all together. They probably have a lot of stuff they're suffering with in silence going on, and they don't want you to know. And that's Zacchaeus. He's struggling, just like so many people feel. I'm unacceptable, but I'm going to go climb up this tree because I want to see this miracle worker, this holy man I keep hearing about who hangs out with sinners like me. So that's the first insight we get from the story. There are a lot of people who feel that they're unacceptable to God. There are many people who feel that they just cannot measure up. Maybe you feel that way. You come to church searching for something, but you're afraid to commit to anything. You're afraid to let anyone get to know you. You're afraid someone will discover that you are not a real Christian. These testimonies that these men shared over the last six weeks, my jaw hit the ground. 
And I'm thankful that they shared their testimonies because I respect them even more now. I love them even more now. And I think our men relate to each other more because we all see ourselves as broken and frail, fragile, as they say. And we identify. And when we tell our story and when we share our wounds with others, our wounds can provide healing. And just from sharing those wounds and telling our story, God provides us healing if you get my drift and what I'm trying to say to you here. And so maybe you do feel that way. I'm, I'm not as good as the people in that church. And there are a lot of people on the outside, especially outside these church walls, who feel that way. I can't tell you how many people came last night. It was more than I could count. But how many of those people feel acceptable to God? They won't come into these doors, but they'll come and bring their kids to trunk or treat and get some candy and some home-cooked in the crock pot jambalaya. Now you wish you came. See what you missed. And there was a dessert extravaganza, all homemade fudge and chocolate and white chocolate dipped pretzels. It was, oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. But how many of those people were hurting? And I will tell you this, dozens upon dozens of people said, People are so friendly here. People are so loving here. All this is free? We talked to several people, handed them out cards and other things about the church. And they said, are the people of the church like this? I said, this is the church. And I pointed around to everybody that was there because all ages were there. So many of you came and helped and set up your trunks. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. I said, this is, this is God's church out here. And one lady said, she says, all these people? She said, but there's a lot of different people here. I said, yeah. And you know what? It's a foretaste of heaven. It's a foretaste of heaven. Aren't you glad you come to a church where it doesn't matter what you wear, what you look like, where you come from, what side of the tracks, what high school, what college you pull for? Some of you are rejoicing for the college you pulled for yesterday. Others are in severe depression right now. <laughs> so I hope somehow, some way, you'll come out of the, the, the depths of despair this morning and hear what God has to say that life is so much bigger than any football game or any other athletic event. And I've learned that, folks. So, people think they have gone too far away from God. The real tragedy is someone in their life may have told them that. You're never going to make it. You're not good enough. You're not fast enough. You're not tall enough. You're not smart enough. You don't go to the right school. You don't have the grades you don't look the part. One of the most destructive lies, lies we can believe about ourselves is, I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm not worthy of God's love. I want you to hear the remainder of this message from your heart. In the early days of the AIDS crisis, and I was around, many of you were around during the early days of the AIDS crisis, back in the 80s and early 90s. One evening, a man showed up at a church door. It was an Episcopal church. And the Reverend Ted Karp was the pastor. He was an Episcopal priest. And this man came before him. And the man's face bore the characteristic sores of an age-related cancer. He had a question for Reverend Ted. Will you allow me to come to your church and die here? He had already visited six other churches that night. All had turned him away. Reverend Ted hesitated. Like many people, he was afraid. Not much was known about the disease at this stage, and fear was driving a lot of hateful behavior. AIDS patients were losing their jobs, getting kicked out of their churches, facing harassment and death threats. But then Reverend Ted remembered Jesus' love for lepers, the sick, sick, tax collectors, and all those who are unacceptable in this society. 
and in their society. And he discovered later that this man's plan was to commit suicide in the church, to die in a peaceful and beautiful place. But the man was so moved by Reverend Ted's acceptance that he changed his mind. Nobody really thought the Reverend would allow this man to come into the church. Elders of the church met about it and says, if he does, we're leaving. But he did. Not everybody in the church accepted this man. Attendance dropped drastically. But when the dust settled, 21 members of the 200-member congregation remained. And they remained with this man until his death. He died knowing that he was accepted by a community and surrounded by the love of God. And by the way, none of those people got AIDS from him. Sitting on the toilet or washing their hands in the same sink or drinking from the same, you know, gallon of tea, pouring it out, not drinking it out of you know, but pouring it, whatever. And that brings me to the second insight we get from today's Bible passage. One of the greatest truths Jesus came to teach us is that God loves you anyway. Can you imagine how that man felt, how loved he felt by that pastor and those 22 people who decided to stay? I don't know what happened in that church. There's no more on the story. But I believe God probably cured that church somewhere they would have never gone before because of their obedience and trusting in him to care for this man. You know, as we become more and more diverse as a church, the hope and love we have needs to be grounded in Christ. Not our political party, not our opinions. This is apparent. This is especially true and relevant as the elections approach. Not to let political parties and differing opinions cause us to be so divided, cause us to say hateful things and turn people away. God loves you no matter what. And he calls us to love regardless. It, it's empirical, which means it's a must-do. It's not a declarative. It's not something optional. We must love and not hate and not despise. Agree to disagree. Get to know the person's point of view. Talk to each other. Communicate with one another. Let me say this to you. No matter what you've done, no matter un how unacceptable you may feel, God loves you anyway. And God loves the other political party just as much as he loves your political party. He may not love what's being done, what's being said, and how things are being handled, which I would be really honest with you, I could really preach on that this morning, but I'm not. Because God is not leading me there whatsoever. You may want him to. Come on, Stephen, what do you really feel? What do you want to say? I'm not going to get involved in that. Because today's message is about this. Oh, how he loves you and me. That's the message today. You see how Jesus treats people? You see how he treats the, the ones that are considered nobodies and outsiders? He's showing us a picture of what God would do if he were to walk into our lives, our hearts may condemn us. Others may reject us, but God loves us anyway. And Zacchaeus was about to discover that in the most surprising way. Starting with verse 5, we, we read, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner? He's hanging out with Zacchaeus? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? 
Remember, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. He could have used this moment to preach a rousing sermon or perform a, form a few healings or challenge the local religious leaders through a debate. At least he could have done something to help his reputation. But no, he does the exact opposite. Jesus uses this moment to show the least popular guy in Jericho love. That's what he does. Because Jesus never passed up an opportunity to show people the heart of God. He never passed that up. Even in his anger, he showed people the heart of God. And remember, no matter how unacceptable we feel, God loves us anyway. Writer Katie McCabe described her mentor, a man named Charles Savage, as a man who changed a room simply by walking into it. She says, he believed so completely in his many students and colleagues that we had no choice but to believe in ourselves. Inspired by her mentor, McCabe wrote that even 15 years after she studied under Savage, everything she did was an attempt to find the person he saw in her. I think, no, I believe. That's how Zacchaeus spent the rest of his life, trying to be the person Jesus saw in him. The love of God changes lives. It always has. It always will. A person exposed to grace, the unconditional, unearned, undeserved love of God will be changed by it. So when Zacchaeus is confronted by grace in the form of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't be surprised by the transformation in his life. Let's return to our lesson, beginning with verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That brings me to the final insight we get from today's story. Take a deep breath. And for this, I'm going to steal Jesus' very words. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There it is. Please memorize these words. Inscribe them in your brain, in your heart, in all the dark places where you believe you are unacceptable to, to God. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save. We need both these verbs to understand God's love. What if this verse read, For the Son of Man came to seek the lost. It would be so easy for us to misunderstand God's character and purpose. We might believe Jesus seeks the lost so he can correct them, condemn them, stand them in judgment, use them as an object lesson for a fire and brimstone seminar on 10 ways not to end up as the least popular guy in Jericho. Or what if we read this verse like this? For the Son of Man came to save the lost. That sounds better, but it still doesn't show us God's character and purposes. We could still twist Jesus' words to mean he saves the lost if they walk in our church doors, if they are compliant and make it easy for us, if they fit into our religious traditions, if they meet us halfway, if they believe what we believe and vote the way that we vote. That's not what Jesus did. It's not what Jesus meant. 
Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what he said. That's what he meant. That's what he did. And that's what he wants his followers to do also. A few years ago, I was interning as a chaplain at Hamilton Medical Center in Dalton, Georgia. And um, I was with my supervisor, and we were making our rounds, and I had the um, chaplain on call phone with me, and it goes off all the time. It was going off, and it just so happened it was Ash Wednesday, and we weren't even considering doing anything about Ash Wednesday in, in this particular hospital. And the message was, the patient and family in room so-and-so would like the imposition of the ashes. And I look at my supervisor, and I'm like, uh, we don't have any ashes. He looks at me, and he says, you do what God prompts you to do. This is you. It's part of my training, I guess. And um, so I remembered we had this little um, tin can up in the, uh, the chaplain's office, and so I went and got it. And I got some paper. And I, I burned it in that tin can by myself. Burning in there. In the hospital, you're not supposed to do that. You know, there's oxygen and everything going on. I would catch people in the hospital elevators all the time, vaping and smoking all the time. It happens even in the hospitals around here. Don't tell anybody. And so um, I go up to this room. And the pressure is mounting because my supervisor, who I respect like nobody's business, he decides he's going he's gonna to observe me. I'm like, oh, thank you. So we walk up there, and we go into the room, and it's a 19-year-old girl in the bed. Her eyes are wide open, but she's lifeless. Some breathing machines. Her mom and dad are there. The mama says, we're, we're Catholic. I said, okay. I said, well, I got a request that you desired. I didn't even say imposition of ashes. That you wanted to receive ashes today on Ash Wednesday. She said, yes, we do. And my daughter. And so I won't go through all the liturgy that I went through. And it was a, it was a, a summary of it because they knew what it represented. And I put the ashes on the forehead of the daughter first. Her eyes looking right at me, but again, lifeless. At least that's what I thought. And I put the ashes on the forehead of the mama. And I went to put it on the dad, and he turned. He says, no. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I said, excuse me? He says, I can't fix my daughter. I can't do anything. I've always been able to fix everything, but I can't fix her. And I feel alone. I don't know what to do. And I just, I just hugged him. He, he wept. My supervisor standing over the corner. I could care less what he was thinking at this point. Because he wouldn't probably done that. HIPAA laws, all that kind of stuff. And I said, your brokenness, your unworthiness makes you all the more ready to receive God's grace and these ashes today. I said, he loves you. He loves you so much. 
And I just met you and I love you. And I know you can't fix everything, but you know who can? The one that you and I love and serve, Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, he had kind of long hair. He pulled his hair back and he poked his forehead out. I made the sign of the cross. I said, from dust you came, to dust you shall return. He's forgiven you. He set you free. And he loves you. Now, I left out of that room. And the door was open. And half the nurses from the nurse's station were standing in the doorway. Watching what was going on. And they started pulling their hair back. They wanted to receive the ashes. And I blessed every one of them. I said a blessing over them of forgiveness and grace and love and thank them for what they do. And all their busyness, all of a sudden the staff started coming down the hall. Well, it got through the hospital that this was happening. We were getting requests on the phone, text messages. I'm taking the bowl around everywhere. I'm going into patients' rooms. People in the ICU. This is before COVID now. Down in the ER, the hustle and bustle is crazy down there. I'm making the sign of the cross on their foreheads and I'm praying for them. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Almost as crazy as inviting yourself to the home of the least popular guy in Jericho. Jericho. And yet people stopped in their busyness, even in the ER, and they received the sign of the cross in ashes. They asked and they received prayer. They talked about their faith and their struggles on their rejection of God. But they stopped and they talked. And I hugged more people that day than I think I've ever hugged in my life. I felt like Doug, the greatest hugger of all times. Just kept hugging and hugging and hugging and putting ashes. My finger was worn out. Had to switch hands a couple of times. Karen, you know what that's like, don't you? That shoulder having to learn to use your left hand. It got worn out. But God gave me supernatural strength to continue for several hours. It turns out, a lot of people who never go inside a church are still looking for God, even in the hospital. So many people were touched that day. And this was not about me, but I, had, I made a connection with what we call the interdisciplinary staff or team, even the administration that day, that I would have never made before. And I had such reluctance in the beginning to go and do what God wanted me to do. So many people were touched. Somebody even said, never before have we had a church come to us. Or we couldn't make it to church. And you brought church to us today. Couldn't make it to the Ash Wednesday service this morning because of my shift. But you brought the Ash Wednesday service to us. And what I didn't tell you is what that dad of that 19-year-old girl said. He said, thank you for bringing God to us today. That's what I do every Sunday, folks. That's what I do every day of my life is to bring God to you. And that's what he's called you to do. And you're going to receive some criticism for it like Jesus. Be ready for it. You bring God to us. That was Jesus' mission Please don't believe the lie that you're unacceptable to God. One of the greatest truths Jesus came to teach us is that God loves you anyway. 
You can say that to the person that says, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I can't fix this. You know what? Sir, ma'am, honey, daughter, God loves you anyway. Daddy has screwed up. Mama has made some mistakes. And we love you. And we know you have too. But we love you anyway. You may not be exactly like us. You may not believe exactly like us. You may decide a different whole career than we want you to, but we love you anyway. And we will follow you and accept you for who God created you to be. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what others say, no matter whether you deserve it or not, God loves you anyway. That's the whole reason God became flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you're looking for Jesus, and even if you're not, I guarantee you, Jesus is looking for you. And he will not stop pursuing you and chasing after you. Because his is a reckless love. He'll do anything. He'll even go to the cross and shed his own blood for you to prove to you how much he loves you. And if you have received the love of God through Jesus Christ, then someone is waiting for you, looking for you to share the love and hope of Jesus and change their life too. If you get nothing else today from this message or for this service, do what Lisa and that team from Ecuador did. Show them the love of Jesus and use words when necessary. And let them know, oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. And he's going to keep pursuing you at all cost. So why keep making it so hard and difficult? Why not just go ahead and surrender right now? Let's do it. Come on. Do it with me. Pray with me. Lord, I surrender. I surrender all to you. I need you. I can't do this without you. People depend on me. I'm tired. I'm weak. And I'm worn. But you are more than enough. Because you love me. And that's all I need. And I want to love like you, Jesus. I want to extend a hand to the Zacchaeuses of the world, Lord. And welcome them into your kingdom, Lord. Into your presence, Lord. So forgive me for being selfish. Lord, help me to have some unpublished thoughts. Because sometimes, let me be honest, a lot of the times, I speak before consulting with you. Speak through me. Love through me. Transform me, Lord. To be like Jesus. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. 
God bless you, and thank you for listening.